Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And today, uh, we are going to have a special guest, John Wathen, a good buddy of mine, a good manager when we had the Omaha Royals, and an all-around Kansas City Royal aficionado. So that's going to be exciting. We're waiting for John to join the show. How about that? We are upping our game from the production standpoint. We uh, hope to have a little more lively music on uh, uh, next next time when I meet with our production staff, uh, we're meeting with our new f- webpage designer. So we should hopefully have a webpage in the next, I don't know how long it takes to do a webpage, you know. But uh, when, when we do have a webpage, uh, you'll be the first to know on Spotify, Apple iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. SoundCloud, you know the drill. Our audience grows every day. We're excited. We had Craig Kashan on last week. We have John Watson this week. Next week, we're going to have... Dwayne Stats, the voice of the Tampa Bay Rays, the defending American League champion, Tampa Bay Rays. And then uh, the following podcast will be with Manny Sanchez, the highest rated podcast participant in the history of On the Lighter Side of Baseball. Uh, We'll be talking about the White Sox and uh, probably Manny's experience on Sunday when he is actually a fan at a game, at a White Sox game scheduled for the 28th uh, so we'll talk to him about that experience and how that went and uh, just catch up generally with Manny last time he was too depressed to do a podcast after the White Sox laid an egg in the playoffs now they've beefed up their team and uh, they hope to win the Central Division of the American League the Royals will have other things to say about that I bet they'll play each other quite a few times they're going to play a full schedule and uh, that's going to be pretty darn exciting. We're going to have regular baseball. Last year was, you know, what I think was uh, close to a joke. But, uh, you know, the World Series and the playoffs were were pretty entertaining. It was just getting there that was painful. The seven-inning games, the runners starting at second base, all that good stuff. And uh, anyway... We will uh, catch up with John. We'll catch up with uh, his offseason and what he's going to be doing this season and may even touch on his son, Dusty, who is going to be the third base coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. I think all in all, people in baseball are going to be pretty excited to get back to the way it was. And, uh, of course, that will certainly be a lot better. Fans at Royal Stadium, maybe. Season ticket holders get a little break on where they can sit, which I don't get. Why can't I sit in my seat? Who's going to keep me out? Uh, Probably the COVID police, and for good reason. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be visiting with uh, former manager of the Kansas City Royals, former manager of the Omaha Royals, uh, the stolen base leader for a single season in catching. I mean, what a great player, long career, and an all-around good guy. So when John joins the show, we will be back from break. Thanks for listening to On the Lighter Side of Baseball. Tell your friends about it. We're going to be doing some live shows as soon as I get uh, my vaccination number two. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be at Papa Kino's and uh, do a show with uh, my good buddy Chris, whose new restaurant is booming. Pizza's great. Pizza is really, really good. So for you folks in Overland Park that you haven't been over there to Papakinos, get over there. Then the venue is going to shift to Milwaukee, and we're going to do a show from Ward's House of Prime with our good friend Brian Ward and Mike, the bartender, and Craig Kashan. So we're going to drink a bottle of wine, have a little podcast up there, have a good time, and uh, I'm sure uh, Nellie will come up. And uh, speaking of Nellie, I've got Nellie's 1976 Kansas City Royals hat uh, with the number three on it, which was his number with the Royals, and uh, his nickname back then, Magic. And he was magical. So that's that's a scoop. So enjoy the break, and when we come back, we will be with John Watham. Everybody, as promised, we are back with one of my favorite guests. Good guy. Beats me at golf all the time. We smoke cigars. <laughs> the last time I saw John, I was 
Uh, we had to go to a five iron off the tee because I was afraid I was going to break a window at his golf club. How are you doing, Duke? <laughs> Good. How are you, Jamie? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Healthy and happy and uh, excited that pitchers and catchers have reported. And, uh, you know, your outlook on, on life's got to be great now with the uh, pitchers and catchers coming up to speed. Now the whole team's there and game starts Sunday. What do you think? Well, we always talk about uh, the opening of spring training as being kind of the new year. So happy new year to you. Everybody's back playing again in the sunshine in Arizona and Florida. So it's a, it's a great time. Um, I think it's uh Matheny said it pretty good. It's a great time to be a Royals fan. I think the optimism is great. We're going to have a lot of young talent in spring training with some older veterans that we acquired in the off season guys like uh, Mike Miner. We got back the pitcher and we got Carlos Santana, and Andrew Benedetti, who's from Went to the University of Arkansas, was the number one pick with Boston. Um, Michael Taylor, outfielder with the Nationals. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the younger guys. Asa Lacey, uh, Daniel Lynch, and Jackson Coe are all very good pitchers in our minor league system to go along with uh, Bubik and, and with Singer, who pitched so well last year in the first year. Yeah, it's so much fun to talk to you. I've got about 50 things that come into my mind just from you going through a little bit of the uh, acquisitions that the Royal made and hats off to John Sherman who bought the team and immediately found himself in the middle of a pandemic. But I thought the Royals had maybe the best, if not the second best off season in the central division of the, of the American league. So uh, you gotta be excited. I'm excited as a season ticket holder, but um, I'm more excited just because the Royals seem to be trying to be competitive and maybe even win a division. You never know. Well, you don't. Uh, Chicago it looks like the team to beat right now with what they did uh, in the offseason. And, of course, they've got Tony La Russa back at age 78, which I can't imagine since I'm 71. Uh, I can't imagine at 71 managing a big league club now, so I'm a little surprised by that move. But he's got a great pedigree, obviously, won a lot, and hopefully he's, he's still uh, able to uh, you know, manage and, and do a good job with the White Sox. They're, they're, they're a strong club. Cleveland's gone down just a little bit. Detroit, uh, not so much. They're, they're rebuilding. Um, I, I think Minnesota is going to be a good ball club again. Uh, so it's going to be a tough division, one of the tougher divisions, I think, in all of baseball. I agree. It's gotten that way just over the course of the offseason. Last year, <clears throat> I thought the two off the two central division teams in the National League and the American League were kind of the weaker parts, although they had a lot of guys in the playoffs. But I do think that the uh, – the American League Central Division is going to be fun. The White Sox are going to be fun to watch. The Twins signing, re-signing Nelly Cruz. I'm excited to see Sal Perez play healthy. Uh, uh, Soler, I love. I mean, it comes down to, I think, the bullpen and your shortstop. Yeah, it, it really does. Mondesi, you know, showed signs of greatness at times last year and previous years, and then all of a sudden he looked lost for a couple months. Um, so hopefully he can, he can find that and be more consistent and be the player we know he can be, uh, most of the year, um, you know, center field, uh, I think, uh, I don't know a whole lot about Michael Taylor, but he's defensively supposed to be really good top notch defense. And hopefully he can, uh, he can revive his offensive stats that he had several years ago here in Kansas city with our guys, uh, Hopefully, you know, a change of scenery sometimes makes a big difference for a guy. So hopefully he can get off to a great start and, and have a good, solid offensive year as well. I think he's really a speedy guy, right? That's what yeah. that's what I remember. And I remember he just killed the Cubs. I mean, whenever he played against the Cubs, which may not have been all that often, he killed the Cubs. So with his speed, can you move Jorge into the outfield a little bit? Because maybe Taylor can uh, the right field. I got a feeling that uh, Soler probably will DH most of the time, play right once. I think Whit Merrifield's penciled in pretty much now for right field, you know, Taylor and left, and then Benedetti and, and excuse me, Taylor and center and Benedetti and left. Right. I think if we're open the season today, you know, who knows what can happen with injuries and COVID and everything else. Uh, speaking of the White Sox, I just thought of something. As good as they've got this offseason, gotten this offseason, you being a big Cubs fan, how do you feel about the White Sox possibly playing very, very well and a great chance to win the division? Do Cubs fans root against the White Sox? 
Most Cub fans. Listen to my show, by the way, Jamie. <laughs> I, no, no. God love you. I think it's great. Let me answer that, Duke. I grew up a diehard White Sox fan. My mom, my dad grew up on the South Side. I cried when Minnie Minoso got traded away. And you and I are the same age, so you remember that how great an era it was in the late 50s and early 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, my relationship with Nelly, with Dave Nelson, uh, and the fact that he took a job broadcasting with the Cubs and my youngest son, Josh, fell in love with the Cubs as a result of Dave and Dwayne Stats, I kind of switched my allegiances. I'd never, you know, I'm friends with Reinsdorf. We go to lunch. I would never tell him I had season tickets. Now, given what happened to the Seattle Mariners guy and podcasts and Zoom calls and what you got to be careful saying, I don't want Jerry to get pissed at me, but I've been a pretty good Cub fan. I was really, really, really excited to be a White Sox fan again and, until they got Tony Larusa. And let me just explain charitably. I've ripped to, I've ripped Larusa on several podcasts, but he fired Nelly. There have been three managers that fired the first base coach. Larusa was the first. Uh, Ned Yost did it in Milwaukee, and in between was Mike Hargrove. So those guys out of my loyalty to Nelly. And speaking of Nelly, I have right here in my hands, and the fans can't see it because we're not live. I've got Nelly's 1976 Royals hat. The brim is broken. It's got his number three, which he had with the Royals, and Magic, his nickname, as you well remember. So let me say this about you and your managing skills. You've got the lineup ready. You're six years younger than La Russa, and... I could say a lot of things where I think that you shine above Tony, but I agree. I could no more throw a BP now than I probably could before. White Sox are good. I don't like T-Bone. And, uh, you know, I like Jerry, and the Cubs are going to suck. I mean, you and I could – you and I could – they don't have – they just don't have any pitching. Yeah. I don't think. I don't well, know. Let me ask this. What, if, what happens if one day – uh, the Cubs play the White Sox in the World Series. Uh, you obviously would root for the Cubs. Uh, there's no question. Yeah. There's absolutely no question. And I'd still let Ryan Storff pick up the tab at whatever restaurant we went to because <laughs> you could. He you could. could. <laughs> As a Chicagoite, you could actually root for both since they're in different leagues. You could. And <laughs> they, they play each other six times, I think, in the schedule this year. Um, yeah, it's funny because I've got so much. I just loved the 50s White Sox and even the 60s and Eddie Stanky and Chuck Tanner and all those guys. The Go-Go Sox, right? The late 50s, they're called Go-Go the Go-Go Their yep. speed. That Nelly Fox at second and Aparicio at, at shortstop mm-hmm. and Jim Landis, Jim Rivera. They had Billy Pierce, Dick Donovan, early win. Uh, they had a great team. And then they got Klazuski, which put them over the edge and I actually, I went with my dad to the the one thing my dad and I just shared was this love affair for baseball. Somehow he scored tickets to game one of the 59 World Series. We sat in the upper deck in left field. You could not see the left fielder, but luckily it was Al Smith because Minnie was in Cleveland. And the White Sox just kicked the Dodgers' butt, and that was the end of their excitement of that because the Dodgers came back and beat them in six but it's funny i'm sure like you i remember way more of the 50s and 60s baseball than i do last year yeah yeah i grew up in san diego as a dodger fan because the angels weren't around yet till 66 i believe and uh love the dodgers you know wally moon and uh, lou johnson and of course sandy koufax and don drivesdale johnny padres John Roseboro, Wes Parker, all those guys, you know, those were kind of my guys back then. And then uh, the San Diego Padres, you know, at that time were AAA in the Pacific Coast League and then became the San Diego Padres in the big leagues in 1969 when I was in college at the University of San Diego. So a lot of changes with uh, different teams moving out to the coast back in those days. You know, obviously the, the two teams, San Francisco and Dodgers from New York. San Diego, an expansion team the same year as uh, Kansas City. Yeah. And how about the Torreons? Are they going to, you know, be the stars of the the uh, NCAA baseball world? Or <laughs> there's a short list Please. of major leaguers, but you and oh. Sammy Solis. Yeah. And uh, Chris Bryant. 
There you, Did you go. Know Chris Bryant was from the University of San Diego. I remember that. Yeah, uh, he's a, he's a good player. Um, yeah, there haven't been a, there haven't been a whole lot of big league guys. A few, uh, a guy named Kerry Deneen around my era, um, a few others, but uh, I don't know. I think they're supposed to be a kind of a surprise team this year. They got a chance. Uh, basketball basketball is a different story with Gonzaga, number one in the country at twenty two and all. Like USD. I haven't talked to anybody. They must have had some COVID issues because they've only played like eleven games. You know, haven't done. the uh, might as well talk about the pandemic a year ago. It just was breaking. The NBA kind of led the way with everybody shutting down, and Major League Baseball shut down for a couple months this year. I think with the NFL getting through their season, Major League Baseball seems poised for 162 games, which I'm very happy about. What the what do you see in the next year in terms of the effect that this COVID is going to have and on baseball and, and basically on your job? Well, um, I'm, I'm back again with the Royals on a part-time basis, which I, I love. Uh, I think the biggest change will be this year until we can get a hundred percent back in attendance. I think they're going to cap at 25%, depending on the, the actual city. Each city is going to have their own rules. I'm sure counties. So, I'm thinking when everybody gets back to being able to go sitting next to each other without masks, possibly, I think it's going to help the game. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of fans that have missed going there in person, having a hot dog and a beer, watching games rather than just on TV. So I think, I think it, it could be beneficial down the road to, to bring back fans that maybe would just soon watch on TV. Um, they want to go back and enjoy the real experience of being at the ballpark. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Well, I think the cutout fans were kind of, uh, you know, a nice try, but not quite the same in the. Uh... Well, you know how they, you know how they screwed that up. They had me behind home plate at Kauffman Stadium. That screwed everything up. <laughs> we talked about that, and then I think Nelly was a cutout. Um, we debated that whether it was. Oh, and... you know, I found out for you. That was Mayberry. Was that Mayberry? Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for ruining my dream. I mean, I watched my good buddy Nelly all the time, and uh, that's funny. That's funny. Okay, well, we'll move on to the real fans coming back, including me. So the Royals sent me this email saying, well, we're going to have, you know, fans in the stand, and and uh, based on – and I've had season tickets in 79, so, I mean, there can't be that many people living that outrank me. But you don't get your seat. They're going to put you near your seat. I don't right. know if your daughter's uh, somebody we ought to have on the podcast to uh, explain how this is all going to work. I assume she's still working hard for the Royals. She is. She's uh, not in that department, though. She's working. Uh, going to be working a little bit with Urban Youth Care. Her title changed. She got a promotion. Uh, they condensed some of the uh, different departments at Kauffman Stadium and streamlined a little bit. So she got out of media relations. She's kind of uh, working in the. Uh, a little bit at the Urban Youth Academy doing some stuff there. Still has our fantasy camp doing the alumni and uh, a lot of events around town and, and uh, you know, different things like that. I, I can't tell you exactly what her whole job is, but I know it's nothing to do with tickets. Are they going to have <laughs> – I, I know that. But that's, are they going to have – fantasy camp, I assume, is not going to happen this year? Correct. It, it would have happened already probably. We usually have it the last week of January, early February before spring training. Um Hopefully next year we'll, we'll do it again. You know, it, it, we had it last year just before the pandemic hit in late January. Uh, I know a lot of guys look forward to that. We get a lot of guys coming back every single year. We have one guy that is a ex professor from Iowa that come has been in every single camp, I think 15 straight years. He's been to it. A lot of guys have been to it, you know, seven, eight times. And one of the guys told my daughter, Dina, she, he said, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't a real year not going to fantasy camp. I missed it so much. And those guys make valuable friendships through the years with all their campers, you know, and do stuff in the offseason together. It just didn't feel like a real year getting ready for fantasy camp, almost like a ball player would get ready for spring training, you know, working out a little bit more, maybe eating a little better and stuff before they go down there, stretching a little bit so they don't pull a muscle their first day, which happens all the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, living proof that I went to the Cubs fantasy camp. I think I told you the first play of the first game <clears throat> with some young short, <coughs> excuse me, young shortstop. 
I was playing first base and he threw a strike about my knees and I stretched like I did in college and my knee popped and Billy Williams goes, was that your leg? And I go, yeah, it sure was. And uh, that was the end of my fantasy camp uh, base running anyway. But yeah, I think uh, I'd love to go down there if uh, they have it next year, do the Royals thing. And, and uh, the one thing that was different between your camps and the Cubs was the Cubs used pitching machines. And for mm-hmm. my buddies that went to the fantasy camp for the Royals, and they loved it, like you said, they they made lifelong friends with some of the guys that were on the Royal side of the deal. But uh, he said that they actually used real pitching, which mm-hmm. we'd still be there trying to get through the first game if the guys at the Cubs yeah. camp had to pitch. Well, what we do now, um, we see each team that plays each other, how much pitching do you, we ask, how much pitching do you have today? And, you know, a lot of times we get through four or five innings the first time around and, and then uh, try to get some guys, whoever wants to pitch. We had the biggest complaint we had, Jamie, was the fact that some guys said, how come we don't get to pitch? I want to pitch. I want to pitch. So we, we do some with the campers pitching and then the, the staff, the, the alumni staff that's there, all of us, we, we throw to them as well, throw to our own team, you know, when we run out of pitching on each team. Yeah. So it works out pretty well where the guys get to pitch, but, uh, you know, don't kill each other. Uh, don't kill their arms and, you know, hurt too bad because there's some guys that never want to get out there, which is fine. But some guys want to pitch, so we let them do a little bit, and then we, we pick, up, pick up the slack. It was a lot of fun. Well, let's look at the real pitchers for the Royals. What, uh, as a scout and an expert, and you already filled out the Royals lineup, which is just as much as Larissa's going to do uh, <laughs> with the White Sox. What do you think of the starting pitchers for, uh, for uh, the Royals? You know, Duffy sounds really good right now. Uh, he's he's in very good shape. I read something the other day where he said uh, first time he'd actually played catch all winter long, didn't shut it down completely, and I think there's some merit to that. I think sometimes our guys today don't throw enough. Uh, I think they, they need to throw a little bit more to get their arms stronger rather than backing off. You know, we, we have these pitch counts today, which drive me bananas. You know, it used to be the hitters would tell you when you lost it on the mound, not the pitch on the scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> Brad Keller, uh, I'm really looking forward to see if he can repeat what he did last year. He was unbelievable last year. You know, he did a he did a tremendous job. Um, he's in he's in great shape, it looks like, and, and he's worked on his changeup all winter, and he said that's going very very well for him. It's a pitch that the staff had to have him throw last year, had to make him throw to compliment his other pitchers. So that's a big bonus. To me, anybody that doesn't have a good changeup is going to have trouble. Changeup's the best pitch in baseball. You can talk all you want about a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, but guys will hit that if it's in the zone. Changeup is going to get a guy off stride out in front, and, and that's that's a pitch that's very underrated by most people. Uh, let's see. Well, that's, that's, got, pretty, uh, that's pretty good for the Cubs because – you take their top three, you take Ariette out of the deal, but you take uh, Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills, and Zach <laughs> Davies, who came over from San Diego via Milwaukee. None of those guys can get to 88. So they live on their changeup, their off speed, their cutter, their control. So it's good to hear you say that because, man, it's got to be the slowest staff in baseball. Yeah. You know, Mike Miner's another one coming back to the Royals who uh, he was hurt most of the time when we had him, but did well with that in Texas. Um, he's he's a, a quality guy who understood what the Royals did for him. We really helped his career out uh, by rehabbing him after he got hurt and allowing him to, to be a free agent and go eventually to Texas. We didn't have a spot for him at the time. And then to, to come back to Kansas City, he said, you know what, I, I owe them a lot for all they did for me to get my career going again. So that was kind of cool. Really? Uh, yeah. Chris Bubik uh, and Brady Singer, who pitched so well for us last year, two right. young guys. Anxious to see them after – you can't call it a full year, 60 games last year, but, you know, partial year under their belt. And uh, that's one thing I've got to worry about a little bit this year is, uh, you know, you were worried about young pitchers and building their arm strength and throwing so many innings one year and then coming back and adding to it and then adding to it until finally they can get up to – you know, hopefully 200, 200 innings, um, used to be 300 <laughs> back in the day. Now it's 200 is, is a good year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much, uh, 
they throw this year, how many innings they throw. And there's even been some talk about a six man rotation, which means you could throw somebody like a Jacob Junis in there as a six guy as well. So um, we'll see what happens. I think it depends on spring training and how the season goes. Well, those are six guys that have enjoyed success at one time or another. Even Junis had a, had some bright spots and singer, of course, had bright spots. Bubik had some really good spots in there. So, you know, is there anybody in the minor leagues that's going to come up in the class of, uh, you know, with the shortstop or what is with a catcher or a shortstop? He's a shortstop who is also, uh, they're moving him around a little bit to play. He played some third base this year, a little bit in the, in our, uh, offsite camp. Uh, and then, then we, we had a camp also at Kauffman stadium after the season was over. Uh, he can, they had him at second a little bit. I even heard that he might try a little center field, which, you know, People used to say about versatility that a lot of players didn't want to do that. Hey, I'm a shortstop. I'm only going to play shortstop. I want to play shortstop. We've talked about this before. I think, you know, that's what helped me play in the big leagues 10 years, being able to play other positions. So I think kids now are realizing that versatility is a big, big plus factor on a team. If you can do that, you're going to be around a long time. So I think they're embracing it a little more than they used to. You know, here's a number one pick out of high school who's a shortstop only. He has some power. He can run. He's got great baseball instincts. And all of a sudden, he comes with us and we say, well, let's, let's play a few games at third or second or maybe even center field. And, you know, he's a, such a great kid. He, he just has embraced it so far. So I think that's a big plus for him. Um, I think, uh, you know, the pitchers we talked about earlier, like uh, Lacey and uh, Daniel Lynch and Coar. I think the first one up, in my opinion, uh, depending on how things go, would probably be Lynch. I mean, he's throwing 97, 98, left-handed, big guy, got a good breaking ball and changeup. Uh, he'd probably next in line behind those other two young guys that we saw last year. Coar's not far behind him. We've got probably three or four more, you know, down the road too that are, that are getting close next year too. So our young pitching in the minor leagues is in good hands. Well, it seems like Dayton Moore's position with the Royals is pretty solidified. You know, there was that era when he was rumored to be going to follow Shareholtz in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and I think Atlanta's got their guy. It seems like Dayton, uh, you know, is solid, and he's drafted well, and, and he's been through the ups and the downs with the Royals, and um, it sounds like there's a lot of good arms in the Royals organization that's going to speak well for some consistency and maybe Sherman will, you know, <clears throat> continue to put the, uh, you know, approve salary, which is always a, a problem. But I mean, how exciting to get Ben Attendee. Uh, but a, what a, go- a great ball player. And then Santana's kind of a quality addition for a year. Yeah, very much so. You know, you got to really hand it to, to John Sherman because here he comes in last year, first season. You know, they go to spring train, uh, the other owners, uh, and all of a sudden they're there to watch a few days of baseball before coming back to Kansas city and carry on with their lives their other lives. And they say, look, uh, no more spring train. They don't see a game. They come back. They spent all this money on a new ball club, a billion dollars, you know, and all of a sudden they say, well, no season. And John Sherman to his credit, didn't fire anybody, didn't release any minor league players, kept them, uh, paid, kept me paid, doing nothing all summer. And, you know, what what a guy to do that. It, it would have been very easy, like a lot of other clubs, just say we're shutting down, we're going to get rid of these guys, we're going to get fire these guys, we're going to release some of these players, you know, to pay them. And, and he did not. Then he goes in the offseason this year and acquires all the talent we got for spring training where he could have just said, no, we lost a lot of money last year. We don't have the money to do this. We're just going to try to keep our heads above water instead of competing like I think we can. Totally great. Totally great. And, you know, I've been saying this for forever. Um, and it's, it was sad in, in 1985 slash 86. It was sad in 2015 slash 16 when the owners, and it's not just the Royals, it's the Brewers, it's the Rays, it's, it's these, quote, small market teams. And I think the small market label is disappearing with an exclamation point to the San Diego Padres. What, yeah. what, a, what's he doing? <laughs> uh, you know, growing up in San Diego, I never thought I would see the day where the Padres would be a, uh, 
act like a large market team. Even though San Diego is a fairly big town, it's still considered kind of a middle of the road market. And the money they're spending is ungodly. I mean, what what did uh, their shortstop get the other three hundred sixty four million? I think for Tatis. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. So on their left side of the infield, they have Machado at three hundred million. And Tatis at three hundred and sixty million for fourteen years, and then they got Will Myers and Hosmer signed a big deal, and I'm leaving guys out, but they go out and get you Darvish, who's had a gigantic contract. They get the kid from uh, the good pitcher from the Rays, and all of a sudden, they're right there with the Dodgers, which is really good for two reasons. Number one, I think that it shows the other owners who probably didn't like what they did that there's money to be spent and I'm sure it made the players union pretty happy too, but it just seems to me again, I won't touch on this for very long, but there ought to be a basement of a hundred million dollars or 10% of the average salary paid so that you don't have the Rays reinventing every year and they do a good job of it in the A's and these teams like the Royals, you know, I'd like to see the Royals and the Royals have spent the money, um, so I don't know. It's just that's me as a fan. I just would like to see a more competitive level of right. salary. Well, and, and the biggest reason for that, there's never, you know, there's always been talk about a salary cap. Well, what they what they've tried to do now is have a, a salary cap with when you go over that cap, so to speak, whatever you want to call it, then they are penalized. They have a tax that they've got to pay. So but the problem with that is. A lot of the clubs say, okay, here's another 10 or 20 million to pay my tax for going over that cap. It's no big deal. Yeah. Seems like uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, the, the Players Association is awfully strong. God love Marvin Miller for all the things that he did. And it was so good to see him going to the Hall of Fame. It is cool. Uh, um, that he did for us, you know, through all of our work stoppages and everything. But Players Union is so strong. I don't see how that would ever happen where there'd be an actual cap. Uh, we'll see. Well, I think the only way, yeah, the only way there is is if there's a basement, which I don't think anybody anybody wants. I mean, and it's sad because you got the collective bargaining agreement running out this year, and they're gonna they haven't exactly been hugging and kissing during this pandemic. So it's going to be interesting to see what if there's a strike next year. God forbid. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, you know what what happens between the players association. I don't like what they did with the minor leagues. I thought that was the first shot to the bow. I didn't like the draft. So one question I have, and we'll touch on the minor leagues in a second, but is the draft going to continue being seven rounds or are they going to go back to, um, you know, multi-round draft if, if you know. Yeah. Good question. Uh, they've changed it from June to July over the all-star break. So it's a little bit later. So that's going to be an interesting concept because by the time the guys sign, you're talking, uh, you know, late July, where normally the minor league season is only until late August, early September. So they only have a month to play. So there's a lot of talk about having those guys go to spring training sites and just work out and, and not start their season until instructional league in the fall or the following spring training. We'll see how that works. Um, I think there's probably going to be about 20 rounds this year instead of five. Uh, you know, guys after five rounds this last year, they, they got $10,000 worth, you know, or 20000 whatever it was. And in the past, a six-round guy would get uh, possibly a couple hundred thousand dollars. So it really changed the draft last year and it saved the owners a ton of money. But we got some pretty good guys after the fifth round last year that – I haven't even seen yet because there was no minor leagues last right. year. That's, there was a lot of that. I'm looking forward to getting out to spring training uh, for the, the minor league camp and seeing some of these guys who are brand new to me. I haven't seen at all. Um, and I, as I, as I told you off air, it's going to be a little different this year. The, the major league team will break on the 29th or 30th of March and start the season April 1st here. So our minor league camp will not start until they leave with the COVID. We don't want to have uh four or 500 people in camp at the same time, which our minor leagues, for those who don't know, train with our big league club, the same complex in Surprise, Arizona. So they have about 120 or 30 guys in big league camp counting staff and the minor leagues, maybe 250 or 
shoot more than that maybe um, in staff. So I won't go to spring training until April sometime this year. And minor league season being pushed back till early May to start the season. And it's going to be extended into September to try to play a complete schedule, which normally in a minor league is about 135 games or so. So it's going to be a little different being out there in April rather than uh, March as usual. Well, for those of you who don't know, John managed the Omaha Royals when my family owned the Omaha Royals. And on prior podcasts where John has been nice enough to show up and now he's even asking me questions. So it's really, <laughs> it's spectacular. And you know, Trying to run you out of business. I'm going to get my own podcast. Well, no way. That, <clears throat> that makes me laugh when, <laughs> at the end of the season, I think, or during the off season, and <clears throat> we did a few podcasts together. And with the Corona uh, pandemic, I thought it was fun to try to entertain somebody, even if it was only one person. So at the end of the season, after John and I played golf a few times, I said, "John, you ready to be on the podcast again?" And he goes, "Man, you must be hard up." And I'm not hard up. He's one of our favorite favorite guests, and he was clearly a great manager, but. What's the structure of the minor leagues now? One triple A, one double A, single A, that's it? Uh, yeah. We, we used to have uh, seven teams here in the States, plus the Dominican Republic team that everybody has. There's 30 organizations that all have complexes in the Dominican Republic, and we're one of them. And sometimes we have two teams over there in the summer. But, yeah, we had uh, we lost our – two short season rookie league clubs in Idaho falls, that whole league folded the pioneer league. And in the Appalachian league, we had Burlington, North Carolina, and that league folded as well. So we lost those two teams. So all we have now, interestingly enough, it's kind of cool. Uh, that Appalachian league that's been around forever is turning into a summer college league for younger college players. The older, better players go to Cape Cod and play. And this is going to be, freshmen and sophomores a lot that are going to be able to go to that part of the country, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee around there. And they, have, they all have their ballparks set, obviously, because they had a league before for many, many years. So a lot of kids will be able to go there and play wood bat summer league ball on that old Appalachian Lake. Uh, so, yeah, we're down to Omaha, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, our double-A team. Our high A now is Quad Cities, Iowa. And our low A team is Columbia, South Carolina. So we're out of Lexington, Kentucky, and Wilmington, Delaware. They're, they're gone. Lexington is completely gone. They don't have a franchise anymore. Wilmington now is going to be low A, I believe, for Washington Nationals. Wow. I didn't know that Lexington. Were they the Lugnuts? Lexington? Uh, no. Lexington, uh, uh, who was the Lugnuts? Lansing Lugnuts. Lansing Lugnuts. Uh, Lexington Legends. Okay. Somebody, yeah. you know, after after we sold the Omaha Royals, we being my uncle, after the sale, I'd get approached by people to buy a team thinking, you know, hey, you must have money to go spend on them. And the Lugnuts was one team. Lexington was another. And then the Osprey out in uh, Montana and I don't know if any of those teams are still around. The Montana deal is probably gone by the wayside. No, yeah, Montana definitely gone. They were in the same league with uh, Idaho Falls, our team in the Pioneer League. Well, that yep. would have been a great, great move. Not sure where the Osprey that was in Montana. It was in Missoula, Montana, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, they were in the league. They're gone. They they had the best marketing, John. Was guy. Uh, number one, he wanted to sell his building that he has real estate practicing in downtown Missoula. And who wouldn't want to live in downtown Missoula? But he sent me a, a promotional DVD and he filmed it with a drone going over this ballpark. And it's still at a foot and a half of snow. And the date was like April 23rd. I'm going, <laughs> you know, $6 well, million I saved there, buddy. That was a good move. Yeah. I remember uh, my second son, Derek, who played in the minor leagues for 11 years. He was with the Marlins quite a bit of his career. And he ended up playing AAA in Calgary <laughs> with, with the Marlins. And uh, they didn't play a home game for like three weeks into the season. They, In fact, they came to Omaha. They were supposed to be a home game. Omaha was supposed to go to Calgary. And they came and played those that series down in Omaha. 
yeah, there's a lot of snow. <laughs> so needless to say, they don't have a team in Calgary anymore. Well, you know, I don't make very many good deals, but usually just like a trade, the trades you don't make are usually the trades that are the best. But uh, man, oh man, that would have been a bad, bad deal. Speaking of Derek, let's talk about Dusty. I think he's still employed by Philadelphia Phillies in that third base box. He is. He will be uh, starting his third uh, season in Philadelphia as a third base coach after managing in their minor leagues for 10 years and uh, really likes Joe Girardi, their manager. They had a rough end of their season last year. Hopefully they can turn things around. You know, they only needed to win. I don't know if you're aware of this, Jamie, but they only needed to win one of their last eight games to be a wild card team and lost uh, all of them. Or they need, no, excuse me. They needed to win one more of their last eight. I think they lost six or seven out of eight, something like that, and, and uh, lost the playoffs by, by not winning that one more game. That's lost. a tough deal. I didn't, I didn't realize that. And, you know, I had done a little research, and I I believed that Dusty was still with them, but that would have been a bad question if he had been let go. Then you would have had to explain <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, I I always figured Giardi would end up managing the Cubs someday, and I still I still hold out hope for that. I think he's great. And Dusty, uh, loves, Dusty loves working for him. He says he's a really good baseball guy. He's really happy that, that he got the job there and, uh, and, and a good person as well. You know, I think – uh, most of the coaching staffs in baseball, I think we're left alone. There's probably a few changes that I'm not aware of or forget about right now, but I think what that was the right thing to do. You know, you, it's hard to evaluate a coaching staff and make a lot of changes when you only play 60 games in a pandemic. Right. So, uh, so hopefully uh, they'll have a full year this year and he can be more evaluated and, and get another chance to come back. Well, they've got a great team coming back with real Muto, even though he got hurt, you know, I, chemistry is so big and I harped on I go back to 85 when I was upset that Mr. K didn't just bring back everybody I didn't like the fact that Cardinal went got released and the Peacock wasn't still around and that even though these guys were what about me were you upset when I got released in, in spring of 86 I was so upset about that <laughs> see that, that was, you were the done i was pretty much done i think i think they probably made the right move well you were pretty close to being the manager of the omaha royals in that time period so i was happier that you were there on your way to manage the uh the the parent team the Kansas city royals but back to chemistry um these little guys it's just like the cubs uh, and the dodgers don't do this the dodgers are the other way they try to improve after they win a pennant or a world series I think the Cubs blew it when they got rid of Hayward or not Hayward, uh, Dexter Fowler. Um, they blamed Hayward's contract on not keeping Fowler and yeah, Fowler didn't shine with the Cardinals, but he's back with Madden. I'm just a big believer. And again, I know nobody, I have no contacts. The budget marketing, uh, budget for on the lighter side of baseball is about negative a thousand dollars. So I don't get out and interview people and they wouldn't talk to me anyway, but, I always have a concept that if there's a dog on the team in the clubhouse, that team's going to have a, have a tough time getting above water. And I don't know, Bryce Harper may be the greatest guy in the world, but his reputation was always a little bit suspect. And I, I think the older he gets, and again, I don't expect you to comment since your son's a third base coach. No, I can't, I can't comment. Um, to be honest with you, uh, my son told him he's a great guy in the clubhouse, uh, good with the other players. Uh, it comes off, obviously, as a little brash sometimes. And, and uh, you know, people don't like some of the things he says or does, I guess, through the years. But he said uh, the players couldn't like him more. And he comes ready to play every single day and plays hard. So that's all you can ask him. That's true. And I think as you mature, as these guys mature, they, especially the guys with the talent, the, the 300. $30 million talent that Harper has. Although he's probably going to want to renegotiate his contract. Here's a guy who's played 145 <laughs> games in the major leagues, gets more money than Bryce Harper, more money than Arenado. Um, you know, just talking about these guys, I'm so excited that baseball's starting up again. And, you know, I think that um, there's going to be a lot of good teams. And I, I just hope that the pace of play speeds up. I hope a lot of things that their fans there, 
there's a lot of problems with the game right now. And I, you know, just for the life of me, hope that they work some of these things out. I don't like starting a guy at second base, although some guys do in the, in, in the game. I don't like seven inning double headers, although some guys think that's great. If you like seven inning games, why not play 162 seven inning games? <laughs> I mean, just go for it. But what what do you think? What's your feeling on the overall state of the game? Uh, I have to bite How's my that? lip. How's that to... question, Duke? Yeah, bite my lip sometimes uh, when I see the way this game is going and all the rules changes there. And I, um, and I understand why. I just don't still agree with some of the stuff like the, you mentioned the seven inning games and the starting runner at second base. It's all about the player's safety anymore, and that's caused by the big salaries. Yeah. You know, they could care less back when we were making $16,000 as a rookie in 1976, whether we got hurt or not, you know, minimum now is like five fifty, um, first year players. Uh, so the biggest thing is all these multi-year big contracts they are, they're afraid of guy getting hurt and not being able to use them. So all of it is, is geared towards helping the players. They're, they're going to get too tired if they play too many games, they're gonna throw the baseball too much from the mound to home plate if they play two nine-inning games. Uh, all about player safety. You know, you see the, the pitch count on the scoreboard all the time, obviously, we talked about earlier. So I understand why that they want, they're trying to protect their investments, but it's gone too far the other way, I think. Yeah, the days of spawn and sane and pray for rain are gone. The four, four-man rotation, yeah. you alluded to 300 innings. I remember... Uh, back with the early win, Bob, all those guys in the 50s and 60s they had four-man rotations, mm -hmm. and nobody had ever heard of a closer, although each team kind of had the, you know, the guy that would come out of the bullpen and wrap it up, maybe pitch three innings or four innings. But as you say, and you know better than anybody, that's all to protect the investment. I, I get that. I just wish that the investment savings would uh, compute to shorter games, you know, two-and-a-half-hour games and it seems to me like a lot of the new strategy is for the pitchers to just stare at the hitters and they're not supposed to get out of the box now. So it's almost like four corners, Dean Smith basketball when <laughs> the, they just stare at them. It just drives me crazy. And uh, it's a uh, pet peeves on the lighter side of baseball. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Now that we've got, we don't have sponsors, but we're going to take a quick break. And we come back. I want to talk about who you're, picks are for the best Royals that played while you played. All right. Okay. Back with John Watson. We got about 10 or 15 minutes left before uh, we each have to go our separate ways here, but we'll have John back. It's always fun to talk with John. And I, I wanted to surprise him and we've been kind of going over with various guests, uh, teams that they're more familiar with and who they think are their, uh, uh, the stars at that, uh, in, in that era. And John played for 10 years in the major leagues. And so I know that he uh, has some good ideas on who, do you know who who would be your pick for third base? <laughs> uh, that's kind of the way I used to fill out the lineup when I managed. I'd put George Brett batting third at third base, the first one I put, and then work around him in the, the rest of the lineup. Uh, well, wait, and no. his number was the number for the third base, right? He was yeah. five. Yeah. Five position. There you go. Yeah. You know how those numbers started, don't you? I've On heard. Uniform. Tell me. Uh, back it's my, Yankees, it's, my guy, Yankees, it's my show, Dot. You know, yeah, the Yankees were the first one to have uniform numbers, and it started uh, where you hit in the lineup. You get that number. So Gehrig was number four, Babe Ruth was number three. He hit three, and Gehrig hit four. I can't tell you the rest of the Yankees, but that's how it started. Yeah, and then it evolved into everybody wearing numbers so you could recognize the players. You know, I that's similar to what I'd heard, and then. You know, how did Yogi Berra get down to the eighth position? And there was like three or four number eights that have been retired. 
Bill Dickey was eight before Yogi Berra. And I think they might, I don't know if they have not retired Bill Dickey's number yet. And it came out of retirement for Yogi or what, how he got number eight. Are you, a, are you a numbers guy like me? I mean, not, not in math, but like in uniform numbers, I can remember. Oh, yeah. Isn't that oh, funny? In fact, uh, in fact, if I need to remember a number, I will associate it with a person. Uh, like if you get an eight in golf, which happens often, you know, snowman. I, I tell the guys I got a Yogi Bear or a seven. I got a Mickey Mantle. <laughs> or, or Willie Stargell or, you yeah. know, number six, I think of Willie Wilson, number 12, obviously Frank White. Okay. Okay. Line. If you're not, you know, then you get to the White Sox. I can tell you the 1959 starting lineup and every one of their numbers, but I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. All right. Best shortstop you played with. That I played with. Or if you want to go back and pick on, you know. Well, you know, tough one. I think the potential that Mondesi has, I feel he'll be the best one ever for the Royals. You know, if he, if he lives up to his, you know, I mean, he can do everything. He can hit homers. He's got great power. He's got the speed to steal 50, 60 bases every year. Uh, range, arm, uh, you name it. I mean, he can do it. Um but the guys I played with, uh, Patek would be right up there. UL Washington right up there. Um, Great. That's Great about games. it. Well, yeah. uh, moving over to second base, besides Dave Nelson and Frank White, I mean, who else <laughs> is there? <laughs> uh, that, you know, Frank White, obviously, you know, with all the gold gloves and, and uh, the, the way he played offensively as well. Um, first base, forget George Brett and forget John Waffen. Uh, Mike Sweeney was over there for a long time put up great numbers with unfortunately poor teams Uh, Mayberry was very good at first base Uh, George played some first base Brett uh, I'd have to probably go Willie Akins you know played great first base and was big in the World Series you know hit the three home runs in one game uh, in the World Series and now, the problem with Aikens and Mayberry, neither one of them played a long time in the Royals. I think Mayberry was probably five or six years. Aikens probably three or four, something like that. Yeah. Well, Sweeney, that's a great name. Uh, yeah. Frank, let's like go, UL. Those let's are go with Sweeney. He had a long career here. With Sweeney. He put up so some great From third to first, is, great guy. Third to first great. as Denny would say, would be, in my opinion, based on what you said, Brett. UL, Frank, and Sweeney. And again, catching, take out John Wathan out of the out of the deal. And is it Sunberg or Sal? I guess you know, I just thought of another second baseman who played at the end of his career that uh, was a big influence on Frank White, Cookie Rojas, who had a tremendous career. Absolutely. There's another one. That's a great name. You know, this is uh, going back and Buddy Biancolana, can't forget Buddy. He played somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and he was on the Letterman show as well. <laughs> I like I like it's, Buddy. I it's track, two, weeks of, two weeks of fame. I gotta track Buddy down. Anyway, outfield. Uh, well, no, Alex, we got a new catcher. We got a catcher. Okay, catcher. Infield. Um Waffen. You said besides me, right? Besides you. The two the two that I think of the for longevity, kind of like Swinney was Mike McFarlane. Oh God, yeah. I love, I, love that. I love I love that guy. You know, I had him in Omaha and in Kansas City, and uh, what a great guy! Uh, I still remember him in tears hugging me when he got the first call to big leagues in '87 when I was managing Omaha. Uh, Daryl Porter put up some tremendous numbers, especially one year. I think he had 120 RBIs and 30 home runs or something like that. Great. So those two, those two guys, it'd be hard to pick. Uh, longevity wise and, and numbers, uh, Mike McFarland, and you know, for best year. Awesome. Those are great names. Uh, You know, McFarland and I talked about my representing (coughs) him. Then he got hurt, and then Sherhill said, hey, you can't represent any Royals. So not that uh, we won't get into what a pathetic business that was. Now, I suppose (laughs) if you represented Tatish, you'd be all right, or if if you were Scott Boris. Left field. That's going to be a tough one, too. Uh, Alex Gordon for, what, 14 years? Yeah. 12, 12 years, 13 years, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, but then you got you got Willie Wilson who played left field yeah. forever, things he did. So, um, 
they both played a long time in left field. I got to go with Wilson with the, with the speed and the batting average. And, you know, he had 200, you know, hundred hits from each side of the plate one year, over 200 hits, uh, batting title, uh, all the 60, 70 stolen bases, a lot of years, uh, probably have to go with him. Yeah, that's a good one. I was going to go with Tom Paquette, but you know, Pokey's not up there with that. So, Pokey was a good, good friend, good friend. What a great, uh, what a great team. Center field, I, I would have put Wilson out in center field. Well, you could, but look what Amos Otis did prior to Wilson being the center fielder. God, what a great. Yeah, I mean, he had tremendous years, uh, put up a lot of numbers. If you look at his numbers, you know, for the years he played in Kansas City, uh, offensively and defensively, gold gloves. Uh, yeah, I got I, that's that's the reason I said William left. There you go. Because he started wow. and left and then moved over to center when, when Amos so left. Was was Amos number six or number one? I can't remember. Amos was number 26. 26. Yeah. You are good with that's great. <laughs> that's a great. Now, there's a guy that had a horrendous agent, but we won't get into Steve yeah. Womack and what Womack did. Nellie and I tried to get Amos to represent to let me represent him. I was just getting out of the Marine Corps and what a, what a good guy, but what a horrible experience he had with, uh, yeah. with he lost a lot of money with the guy that was representing him. That's for sure. Yeah. Right field, man. Right field. Um, Mike one of my favorites who I played with in the minor leagues and had a good Kansas city career, Al Cowens. Uh, Ace. He's, he's big, yes, that's a big name. Um, currently, uh, Although he's going to be more of a DH than right fielder, I think Solaire with the home run title for the Royals now. Yeah. What was it, 44 home runs, 42 home runs, whatever it was. Uh, beating Balboni by a lot. I beat uh, Balboni. And, and beating Moustakas, who beat Balboni, I think. I think uh, he, he beat uh, Moustakas' record, I believe. All uh, right, let's do the pitching because we're going to do this again with the more current. You know, the Musta. I mean, there there have been a lot of good guys, but let's let's talk about the Saberhagen era. Well, that's number one uh, for what he did. You know, Cy Young twice, right? Yeah, I think so. Both leagues. You're going to go he? with the Texas Ranger broadcaster, though, aren't you? The I think he's Buggy. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, a short career. You know, but <laughs> a couple couple no hitters, um, two or three. I think two. three, but I could be three. Good. I'm trying to be. Yeah, Steve Busby, Steve Busby uh, wow. caught him in the minor leagues. We signed about the same time. And of course, he got the big leagues a lot quicker than me and just had a tremendous career, uh, albeit short because of uh, some arm injuries, uh, knee. Uh, well, the staff. You know, all, all, my guys, all my guys in that rotation probably were when I, when I played. You know, I mean, you can talk, mention Larry Gura, Paul Splitorf, oh. uh, you know, bullpen Dan Quisenberry, the closer. Uh, of course, Jeff Montgomery. Uh, later on, who I managed, Lee Brent was it was a big picture. Ubaza, I mean, how great! A ton of back in the day. Um, and you got to go with uh, Zach Grenke, uh, who who pitched here for a short time. And that's to, super. Those yeah. are great names. Manager, beside again, I have to take you out of the equation. First base <laughs> what? catcher. I think that's a, my first manager, Whitey Herzog. He taught, me, he taught me a lot. You know, I, I don't know if I told you the story, but when I was first in, in the big leagues, he got me there in 76. After a year or two, I read an article in a paper and Whitey was quoted as saying that John Lawson would be a big league manager one day. I'm thinking, how in the hell does he know that? I hadn't even thought about being a manager, but then I put it in the back of my head and I said, you know what? That wouldn't be a bad deal. I, I'm Because I'm, I love the game. I don't want to leave it ever and, by the way, this is my 15th year in baseball coming up. That's awesome. So I've been off, awful lucky and blessed to be in baseball that long. And uh, 44, I think, with the Royals after being fired as a player, a manager, a broadcaster, and coming back a fourth time as a yeah, scout and player development. <laughs> you rise from the ashes of Phoenix. We're going to do this again because you just got me excited about We didn't even talk about Hauser, who I loved. Herzog was great. Jim Fry was a different kind of deal. John Wathen skippered the team. And uh, when we talk again, we'll have a little bit of uh, what's going to happen in the 2021 season with the Royals, how they're faring, how the minor leagues are going, how your scouting is going, and how the Phillies are going, and all those good things. So I appreciate it, man. It's always fun. And now, I, I, now I'm even more excited to talk because 
you know, Ace Cowens and Tommy Paquette and names from the past. How cool is all that? I'm not only excited about baseball, but as we talked, I'm pretty excited about the weather today as we speak and going out and hitting that little white ball a little bit and smoking a cigar. (laughs) We're going to do that together again soon. That was fun. So for all of us that enjoy listening to you, man, I appreciate you being with us. And uh, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. 